McLeod and Edge are like peas and carrots, chocolate and peanut butter, sharks and babies. Uh, well, maybe not that last one. <laughs> How do these two ideas complement each other? How do you connect the cloud to the mid-mile to the edge? With Kubernetes becoming the proverbial hammer, is edge another nail? Why am I so bad at metaphors? These are the topics for this episode of Day 2 Cloud. Welcome to Day 2 Cloud, part of the Packet Pushers family of podcasts. On Day 2 Cloud, we have a frank discussion of what happens when cloud stops being polite and starts getting real. I am your host, Ned Bellavance, at Ned1313 on Twitter. Also joining me is my co-host, Alpha Version 0.2 of Ethan Banks. Version 0.2, man, I got a lot of development to go. <laughs> you do. So I'm unstable. I shouldn't be run anywhere. Is that what you're trying to tell me? I well, I think everybody already knew that. <laughs> oh, it, but gosh. it is in the release notes in case anybody's wondering. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Our guest this week is Rob Hirschfeld, who is actually a guest on episode three of Day Two Cloud, where we talked about building a private cloud. Well, he's back. Welcome to the show, Rob. For those who didn't listen to episode three, can you give listeners the ten thousand foot view of who you are and what you do? I'd be happy to. And, and you have me uh, humming Baby Shark now. You're <laughs> welcome. <laughs> oh, oh, that was in my world pretty hard there for a while. Go. There's the, there's the, but there's the Babies and Sharks connection for you. <laughs> and maybe after for Edge, we'll see how uh, hy hypey we get and how short-lived. So um, my name is Rob Hirschfeld. I'm CEO and co-founder of RackN. Um, and RackN specializes in physical infrastructure automation. So we specialize in sort of the underlay for things under Kubernetes. Um, and so for that, we've been very active in edge and edge infrastructure because those are important things to consider. And my history, wow, goes way back. I was, was on the OpenStack board for a whole bunch of years and instrumental in sort of helping bootstrap OpenStack. I switched from that into the Kubernetes world and I was, I was involved in uh, some early Kubernetes work and op operability for Kubernetes and, you know, trying to be a part of, of part of what's going on in this and at the same time sort of um, removed from it because the physical layer sort of drops below all of those projects um, and it's, it's people want to ignore it as, as much no as they can. No one wants to talk about the physical layer anymore. That, it's just so boring. Almost every presentation was like, yeah, physical, that we don't, even like hosts, we don't care about hosts, VMs, we don't care about VMs and containers, ah, Maybe we care about those? Mm. Probably not. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been an interesting conference so far at, here at KubeCon. I understand that you're also part of the LF Edge portion of the Linux Foundation, which I was not really familiar at all with until this week. And I walked over and I was like, oh, what's LF Edge? <laughs> so um, can you break down for me what LF Edge is and what problems it's trying to solve? Sure. People need to realize that the Linux Foundation has all these sort of pockets of sub-foundations, if you mm -hmm. will. Uh, CNCF is one of them. Right. But there's networking ones. There's LF Edge, which is an edge-focused one, really device edge-focused, Okay. Um, which is going to get us into an edge definition. So I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll talk about that. So there's a whole bunch of, of subgroups within it where they have a you know, group of people who have the, a shared interest. Uh, and there's a ton of vendors supporting the LF Edge because there's a lot of IoT interest and device edge interest. There's a lot of activity trying to make that work together better, right? Device Edge, which is where you have sensors and devices and components sharing data and coming back to, to collect you know, information, is the Wild West. Everybody's done it a different way. And so sure. there's a real need for standards. Mm -hmm. um, and LF Edge has a couple of projects that are designed around that. Some of them are more standardy than 
project than software projecty, and so it's a, it's sort of a mix of what's going on. Actually, wait a minute. You say it needs standards, but it doesn't. It's not immediately obvious why we would need standards in the sense that okay, we just move the compute somewhere else because reasons, latency, whatever the reasons might be, and we have all the standards that can handle comms and so forth. So, what sort of standards are we talking about? Well, we have some protocols that handle you know inter device communication, but how what what they actually send on those wires and how they listen on those wires mm-hmm. is not particularly standardized. So, how you would pull say a CAN bus into a container and then share that data with a RESTful API, that everybody's done you know, however they wanted to. And so they're trying to create some patterns where you can say, all right, I have a device that I stick on a network and it's going to get exposed up through a standard pattern or standard practice or managed in a standard way. So we're talking about incorporating some devices that historically been maybe in their own little world. A SCADA pops into my head and, and having them communicate to over this IP infrastructure in a, in a standardized way. It's a really interesting point. So, you know, SCADA, which is really about supervisory control for factory floors and plants and things like that, has, you know, that's been moving towards IP and it has very fixed functions. But what's happening right now is people are bringing sensors in that were never part of the original factory design mm-hmm. and layering them on top. And so the, the thing to consider is there's control systems. A lot of times you don't want to disrupt those control systems, but you want to add, say, a vision and analysis system to do live QA of your assembly line. Or you want to add a whole bunch more sensors to collect temperature data that aren't critical to the control, but add a lot more input into how the process is running. And so all of those things are basically this explosion of sensor technology that are coming into the system. And then you have to make decisions about all that. Um, right. So, so you need to take that control system that is 20 years old and was written to a different spec in a different time, pull information out of that, and then also pull information from your brand new shiny sensors and how are they're collecting data and munge those together in some way. That's exactly right. So it's and and that could be a, there's a huge number of protocols for that, and, and it's <laughs> it's emerging fast. And so there's like industry, auto industry groups for that. There's manufacturing industry groups for that, and everybody has their own favorite protocols. Are we in a situation where eventually it's going to be Ethernet? We're just not there yet? No. This is is actually what's funny. It's not necessarily just going to become Ethernet. It's not necessarily the right protocol. It's not going to all become 5G either. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, they... Different protocols have different latency. They have different liability. They have different power. You know, I, I'm a strong believer in heterogeneity is the reality for us. We're not just going to convert everything into having an IPv6 address and a you know a 5G network connection and and then cu- and walk away. Right. Um, so there's still going to be things like LoRaWAN with a gateway that you know backhauls a bunch of data, for example. Correct. Yeah. And and actually, gateway is the key word in edge. Um, we have gateways between all of these things. The radio networks have gateways into IP networks. The um, IoT devices have gateways into the Internet. It's it's everywhere we're going, we're crossing from one thing to another. Right, you have these aggregation points almost. Correct. So that actually leads me into the next thing I was sort of thinking about, which is, as far as I can tell, Edge is just Raspberry Pis. All the way down? At least that's every demo I see is like, and we have six Raspberry Pis, and they're all pulling sensor data, and they're feeding it into, you know, whatever they're trying to sell me at the time. Can you level set for me? Like, if I'm a cloud architect or a data center engineer, that's that's my role. That's the world that I work in. How should I be thinking about this edge taxonomy and, and all the different terms that are being thrown out there? Yeah, I, I'm not a big fan of getting too specific on edge taxonomies. Um, 
people really want to because some people really like the definitions of this is the device edge and this is the core edge and this is the you know, first tier and the second tier and things like that. And so when you start doing that, you start wanting to be like, okay, I know my infrastructure is going to be in a, telf, in, a, in, a, in a little data center in this location and connected this way. And Edge is not evolving that way. Edge is really evolving in a much more, I need to put infrastructure in a, a certain location. So for example, I'll use drones as an example. I, I think drones are going to be one of the places where Edge moves really fast hmm. because the need for processing related to drones is high and the value proposition for like drone flyovers of fields and uh, lines and neighborhoods and uh, construction zones. Yeah. Sure, they're, yeah. they're huge paybacks for having drones flying over these these areas that are inaccessible or hard to reach and mm -hmm. put people in danger, like uh, inspecting windmills. I saw one where they were using drones to de-ice windmills and somewhere in Scandinavia. Mm. Yeah. And that was a process that would normally take multiple humans several hours to do, and the drone would get it done in like 30 minutes. And and so to make that happen, you don't the drone can't be heavy. Mm -hmm. So you're going to put processing near the drone to do supplemental analytics and then analytics of the data once the drone is back and the, you know, the, the videos are recorded or whatever. And so from that perspective, what you're going to see is that we're going to now we just back a truck of, you know, a pickup truck with servers in the back near the drone to make that work. But we really want to move to stationary infrastructure. So you're going to want to have some core infrastructure or some, you know, something in the field that has close proximity. And the extent to which we can do that, we're going to be able to have a big win uh, from that infrastructure. So I think you get overly constrained if you're like, oh, we have to build out this very elaborate edge infrastructure before we can do anything. That's not how it's working out. People are just showing up with a pickup truck full of servers where they need them or a factory they're putting you know and we're, we're putting them in the stores we're putting them wherever they need to go that's edge today right the interesting thing that i'd like to think about for edge is how do you move that into a shared infrastructure where you don't have to bring a full server you can rent a server in a in a more short-term basis while you're doing that work and then give it up when you're done right we, we talked to a number of vendors that are kind of leaning towards that solution. So we talked to Mobile Edge X. Mm -hmm. We talked yeah. to them, and, and they're about providing a, a platform um, that's Kubernetes-based that people can just on-demand get some edge space. But it, it sounded more like they were in a, like a colo, I think. I mean, yeah. they're, they're, they're they're facility. You're talking about you still need something in the field. So, well, Mobile Edge X is... Okay, they're actually a software product. There's there's a couple of these right. Edge X whatever 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 device Edge. Right. Yeah, they they are a project that's actually trying to build some gateway technologies mm -hmm. and and do some of those protocol pieces. And a lot of people want to put Kubernetes on those things, which makes sense. Right. There's also people who are like doing uh, colo spaces and and you know container physical container not virtual container <laughs> physical container data centers you know making those like tiny little colo areas right, right. Um, and the telephone companies obviously see being able to use cell towers or their their point of presence you know regional point of presence the the challenge is how do you actually run that right we're used to cages in colos we're not used to server by server or you know shared infrastructure that makes people think cloud. And right. I'm not sure that Edge is actually just going to be thousands of mini clouds. It'll feel sort of like it, but I don't think it's the same analogy. Mm. There's some challenges that I think of when I'm thinking of Edge. And those challenges in my head are things like connectivity. Like, how do I stitch all these clouds together? That's a big one. Uh, the management plane. How am I going to manage 10,000 tiny little data, data centers or cloudlets or whatever we want to call them? 
how do I secure those things? So physical security, actual like data security and management plane security. And then how do I monitor all this stuff? So maybe we start with the beginning, like how do I stitch all the, connect all these things together? Because we thought the answer was 5G, and you've already told uh, you us. You told it's, us 5G. If 5G is, is infrastructure to edge, it's, <laughs> yeah. not, it's not edge to edge. Yeah. And, you know, and the, the interesting thing is we, these are all great questions and clear use cases behind them, but the way to do it is much more you know, complex than, than a lot of people have technologies to do right now. While there are questions, there aren't very concrete answers. Mm. So they're the right questions to ask. From a networking perspective, the answer today is SD-WAN. So people are SD-WANing like crazy everything together and making, you know, and that's how they're connecting all these pops together. SD-WANing sounds like something you get arrested for. <laughs> I think I think in, I think in five years we're going to feel that way. Actually, so, but, but your point is they're putting SD WAN intelligence that is uh, load balancing, latency testing, and, and these sorts of things, picking a best path to get from wherever you're at to wherever you're trying to go. That, but even more, it's they're creating virtual networks. So the, mm -hmm. the challenge is, and, and this is the thing behind a lot of your questions. Edge is a completely unsafe environment. So mm -hmm. when you're in an edge location, there's no you know, guards and dogs and tanks patrolling the boundary of your data center, virtual or physical, right? It's not you a firewalled, <laughs> little tiny tanks. I, I want to hear more about this data center <laughs> where you had tanks. <laughs> drone tanks. And so the, the idea here is that in, the, in any edge environment, you're really making the assumption that, you know, somebody could, you know, bust into your data center and take the drives or take the infrastructure or tap sure. into the network. And so you, you, you have to approach every edge infrastructure as if it's an unsecured environment. Um, mm -hmm. And then the question to me that we really need to be asking is how do we make it into an IT infrastructure? Because it can't just be unsecured, it also has to be IT managed by remote. Right. In a place where like uh, cell phone towers, if you put infrastructure in a cell phone site, you have to have legal access, right? They have actually legal controls into who can go into those sites and how they can go in and what, what the controls are. It's not as simple as just calling up, you know, somebody and saying, hey, you know, Rob, drive over to the cell phone site, open the cabinet and click and flick some buttons. That's, that clearly is not a good thing. Right. You need some level of automation there and some level of advanced monitoring through out of band and then also something that can kind of repair itself to a certain degree. This is where, you know, for what we do, physical layer stuff becomes super important because what we're right. talking about is a zero-touch, lights-out data center. And it's not the convenient zero-touch, lights-out data center that we think of in, in Colo where you can actually call the, the Colo provider and send, they can send hands. This is truly a regulatory problem if you can't do that work or you've got thousands of sites. There's no way you're sending people to those sites. It's a truck roll. Uh, to right. get there. And so you have to be able to boot, provision, automate, conform, like set the rate and BIOS, set the security credentials, verify that everything's right. All that stuff has to just be completely autonomous. And, and are we saying we don't have the technology for that today? Well, we do have the technology for a lot of this today. I mean, I'm cycling through hearing the requirements going, yeah, we could do it this way or this way, but... Is it not neatly packaged and consumable? It's it's putting it together. I mean, for like what we do for RackN is we've been building with you know this sort sort of small footprint physical layer pieces in mind. When you look at Kubernetes on top of that, which I think makes a lot of sense, and there's some interesting projects. Um, I've been highlighting Rancher's K3S, which is sort of a stripped down Kubernetes fork. Sure, yeah. super interesting. Um, but there's other vendors that here who are trying to build Kubernetes footprints that fit in this space, but they're still in individual clusters, right? The theme for the show here is that they are 
you know, we're all struggling with how do I manage thousands of Kubernetes clusters? Right. And then they have to be storage. You have to deal with storage that's different in the edge. You have to deal with latency in ways that Kubernetes clusters are not designed to handle with network networks that have high latency or any latency. And you don't want to give up a lot of resources for a control plane. So having a three-node etcd cluster, you know, might take up thir- you know thirty or forty percent of your overhead for that infrastructure. <laughs> Particularly if it's Raspberry Pis all the way down versus something you know beefier. And, and Raspberry Pis are are significantly problematic as a as an, a production infrastructure. We're we're big fans right. from development, but the, the SD cards are not adequate storage. <laughs> yeah. Right. No. Everybody don't use SD cards for real storage. They don't wear well. Right. And so like we're playing with things like in-memory booting and then creating a cycle, but they don't have out-of-band management. So if you need to power cycle a Raspberry Pi, you are stuck with, you know, physically turning them on and off. And there's right. no out-of-band console, right? It's, you know, it's nice for dev. It's not so, not real for production. <laughs> and this is one of the things that we think about a lot. If I'm dealing with edge, it's not the cost of the gear. It's the operational cost for how that infrastructure is going to get built. I have mm-hmm. to be very thoughtful about how I operate the gear and manage the gear and maintain it and keep it up to date because it costs me $1,000 or more to run a truck out to a site, open the cabinet and fix it, plus the downtime and all those other things. So, you know, we have a tendency, especially like in Kubernetes, to overlook operability and, and focus on it's just running in the cloud and it's run for me by the service <laughs> provider. Right. And, and that's, not, that's not how Edge is going to be. We're going to have to focus on operability first. Interesting, yeah. So you gave a talk at EdgeConf Congress in Austin, and I found it super interesting. Uh, I, I enjoyed the follow-up show that you did with, with Stephen, and it was called Unpopular Opinions. I'll include a link in the show notes, but there were a couple points I wanted to highlight. The first one was that AWS and Microsoft will own the Edge. So are you saying that you believe that to be true? You hope it won't be true? <laughs> <laughs> I hope it won't be true. I, I, the fun thing about a lot of these unpopular opinions are I hope I'm wrong <laughs> in, in a lot of the cases. Sure. But, you know, if the industry continues to not row together, I think a lot of these things could be true, right? Yeah, that one specifically, you know, people are going to take cloud development patterns and pull them down into edge infrastructure. We should we should expect that. It's a different environment, but the patterns are going to come down. Right. And so they own those developers, they own those patterns, and so it's they're racing to get down into that environment. Um, and it's really up to the industry around us to decide if that's what we think it's going to be or not. Gotcha. Related to that point, you also had the unpopular opinion that Edge won't be open source, which is interesting because you're part of LF Edge, Uh which is part of the Linux Foundation, which is all open source. So where is that idea coming from? It almost sounds like you're dooming the project before it really gets (laughs) off the ground. So I think LF Edge has to make some decisions about how they're going to operate. But this is we see this in Kubernetes. We've seen this in the OpenStack history. Open, open source is not a commercial model. It's not a business model. And mm-hmm. so Edge, if we expect free software to work, that is not going to produce any usable infrastructure, right? And open source specifically, if you say, oh, it's not free, it's open source, we're just going to sell support and consulting to make up for it. Support and consulting are not a model that scales to thousands of sites. Right. And so the, the models that people think of when we talk about open source don't work well for this where you're really running a service. Mm-hmm. And so you, you need to have a commercial model that ends up looking more like a service provider model where it's an open ecosystem 
rather than right. an open core product. And so I'm a big fan of, of saying, look, figure out what you're paying for. Let's make sure that the software that we're buying, because if it's open or not, we're buying it, that that software scales, works well, is very productive. But the place where we're going to see the innovation is around what we enable from an ecosystem perspective. And that's what I'm trying to get people to think through. It's We get mm -hmm. very excited about, I want open source everything. But the thing that we need to do is have open ecosystems where people can attach to the APIs mm -hmm. and really extend them. That's what mm -hmm. Amazon has done. Very true. Amazon is very closed for their core products, but they expose an API that anybody can use to build on top of, and boy, have people built on top of well, AWS. It kind of feels like that's what the Cloud Native Computing Foundation has done with Kubernetes, too. There's an awful lot of uh, other projects that are tied to Kubernetes. I, I think maybe it's a stretch to call it a Kubernetes ecosystem, but it does yeah. kind of have that feel to it. I, it very much is a Kubernetes ecosystem. And in a lot of cases, a lot of these Kubernetes distros are being run by service providers, you know, the where it's open source stuff, but you don't know how Amazon, Microsoft, and Google are really running things behind the scenes. Right. Right. The, all that all that stuff is is you know proprietary stuff, but there's a huge ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And I would actually argue Kubernetes is an Amazon's ecosystem from that perspective, because <laughs> they run more Kubernetes than anybody else. Right. They don't always you know, it's not their you know, Amazon Kubernetes service, but it's <laughs> it's running in Amazon. And that's they've been tremendously powerful as a, as a generator of open source ecosystems. Right. Even if they aren't themselves open source. Yes. So one, one quick thought here to kind of tie these two together. If, if your unpopular opinion, the edge won't be open source is true, and AWS and Amazon, or uh, I'm sorry, AWS and Microsoft are going to own the edge, uh -huh. are you suggesting AWS, Microsoft, and, and maybe even Google, they're going to productize something that is edge specific and put it out there, and that's what everybody's going to consume? They already are. Yeah. And so one of my, my thoughts is that if, you know, let's start paying for software. Because if we don't, if we think we're going to, you know, Edge does not always innovate faster. We like to think it does. It innovates faster because a lot of people can try open ecosystems. I think ecosystems are fast. But core infrastructure that's open often ends up with a committee effect, and it can slow itself down. Right. And so, you know, it could be that what we really want to be able to do is say, all right, pay for the software, run, get get things going. Hmm. And if we are struggling, you know, and, and we see this with LF Edge, right? We spend a lot of time in committees and, and organizing things and incubating projects through and stuff. And you that is essential behavior for an open source foundation, <laughs> an open source project. Right. We can't, I'm not saying don't do that, but it's it isn't fast. It's consensus building, it's yep. industry building, mm -hmm. great ecosystem yep. stuff, but it's not, you know, we could we could you know we could be in committee meetings while Amazon is owning owning right. the edge. It's the same problem the ITF has on the networking side of the world. It, it it's needful. You need standards, but I mean they're an SDO, so it's a little different of a of a thing. But it takes a while to grind through their processes mm -hmm. to end up with a reference RFC that now everyone can go and build around. Yeah. It doesn't move quickly, and and software has kind of been like we ain't waiting for you. We're going to go build something and just do what we do. So there's some parallels to draw here. And that's and I, you know and that to me is where you, we get worried about things getting run away from. Mm. Yeah. The last thing that was on your list that I just want to go through yeah. very briefly before we run out of time, Kate's is not the Edge platform. And that's a bold statement because you've already mentioned Kubernetes multiple times yeah, as this... being a good fit, oh. but maybe it's not. So this is this is where it's fun. These are why they're unpopular opinions. And the design <laughs> here is to invoke discussion, right? It's, Absolutely. Um, and, and question people's core assumptions. So Kubernetes isn't architected in ways that 
are fit for resource-constrained environments, which is how I define edge, as a resource-constrained environment. And so if you, you look at Kubernetes, it's designed with this assumption that I have perfectly elastic, great bandwidth, yeah. accessible storage stuff. Edge has different assumptions, and so we shouldn't make the you, we shouldn't just jump in and say, oh, we're going to take Kubernetes and stuff it into this smaller box, or you know, other platforms and stuff them into smaller boxes. They have different requirements, different mm -hmm. architectural needs. Sure. And so, the Kubernetes API might be used, but Kubernetes itself might not. Ah, that's, so, that's interesting. And so I think mm. it's, you know, this is why I get excited about K3S, because it's, it's, it's not Kubernetes code. It is and it's not, right. but it's definitely the API. It respects the API. And so I think this is where we need to be thinking, okay, the, some APIs might win, but the actual source code, don't, you can't, don't necessarily stuff that peg into this hole. It, that might not be the fit, or there might be extensions that are necessary. Um, mm. And people need to be thinking that through, because we could waste years trying to stuff Kubernetes into an edge environment where you know something simpler is, is necessary or a different approach. Kubernetes light. Kubernetes, well, that's what K3S yeah. is designed to be. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, there's still things like Nomad around, which is a reasonable thing. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's fairly lightweight. You know, you know, well. Or just running containers, you know, mm. much simpler container infrastructure yeah. might be what's necessary. But I do think it probably have the Kubernetes API or Kubernetes management strategies. Um, but yeah, you have to, we have to, you know, be willing to put the sacred cows up and say, you know, <laughs> is, is this a religion or are we solving problems with this? Right. Um, mm. And that's always going to be important. And I also don't want us to shame people away from solutions where they're, they're proposing something. Mm -hmm. oh, it's not Kubernetes. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to look at that. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, we see that quite a bit in the industry. You know, we're, we're, there's definitely a bandwagoning effect going on here. Um, and to an extent, you know, it is the latest shiny. And so right. from that perspective, we're all on it. But, at the, you, know, you know, there'll be something new in a couple of years, too, that's interesting and gets everybody excited. Awesome. Uh, if people want to know more about what you're up to, where should they look? Where should they go? Excellent. So... You know, everything we do is, is easy to find under RackN. The, the product and the project that we do is called Digital Rebar or rebar.digital online. Um, that's super easy to download and play with and, and get started. I am Zeical on Twitter, and uh, I am very active, and I love a good debate uh, from that perspective. So please hit me up. You know, if you don't like the unpopular opinions, watch the whole thing, and, and, and please, uh, you know, let's interact about it because it's, it's about discussions. It's not about opinions. Awesome. Well, Rob, thank you so much for being a guest on Day 2 Cloud. And thanks to our guests for listening. Virtual high fives for you if you tuned in. If you have suggestions for future shows, we'd love to hear them. Hit either of us up on Twitter, at ECBanks, or at Ned1313, or fill out the form on my fancy website, nedinthecloud.com. So fancy. So fancy. If you've got a wee cool cloud product and you want to share it with our audience of IT professionals, become a Day 2 Cloud sponsor. You'll reach several thousand listeners, all of whom have problems to solve. Maybe your product fixes their problem. We'll never know unless you tell them about your amazing solution. Find out more at packetpushers.net slash sponsorship. Until then, just remember, cloud is what happens when IT is making other plans.